Well, hey, good morning, family. How are we doing? Good, good. Hey, do me a favor. Open your Bibles up to Psalm 26. That's where we're going to be this morning, Psalm 26. And um, if you could throw up the next slide, that would be great. Um, we are kind of wrapping up a mini three-week series we did through the month of June in the Psalms called Field Notes. And the whole purpose of this Psalm series is saying that these things that we see on the screen, blessing in Psalm 1 and satisfaction in Psalm 16 and now integrity in Psalm 26, these are things that are not hidden from us. We don't have to wonder what they look like. We don't have to wonder how to find them, but they're available for all of us. God gives us the GPS coordinates or the field notes to how to live life with these things. And um, as we close this series and talk about integrity, I just want to give you fair warning. Uh, this morning's going to feel different. Uh, this morning's going to hit heavy. And uh, here, here's why. Because blessing and satisfaction, those are things that God is providing us and offering us. And he says, here's these things, you can have them. But integrity is something that God wants to do inside of us. He, he, he wants to create something inside of us and um, he wants to change us. And this week I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would move with a heavy spirit of conviction in our hearts. So another way to say that is I'm hoping that some of us here this morning get very, very uncomfortable. Because we're going to talk about what does it look like to live with integrity. I'm praying that we would have soft hearts. And it's interesting, A.W. Tozer, he, he says it best. He says, one of the greatest tragedies of the Christian life is that the Holy Spirit will not come where it is not wanted. So as we talk about integrity, as we invite the Lord to move in our hearts today, here's what I want us to do. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment? And um, here's the truth. Um, I don't know how all of us came in here today. So maybe you were here and you're ready and you're prepare, prepared to hear from the word of the Lord. I think a lot of us probably aren't. So can we just take like 15 or 30 seconds and just invite God's spirit to, to remove distraction and to speak to our hearts this morning? We're going to hear from God's word. God, would you um, focus our minds? Would you create humility in our hearts that we would hear from your word and be moved? All right, and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, I'm excited for where we're going. Look at Psalm 26. Here's what David writes. This is the Psalm of David. And uh, he says this, he says, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I've trusted the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep away my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, and in whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. All right, church, here's the big idea this morning. It's this. It's that your integrity is what matters most to the Lord. That your integrity is what matters most to the Lord. That what God values in you and from you most of all is your integrity. Uh, a pastor in Canada, his name is Robbie Simons. He puts it best. He says it this way. He says, integrity is your spiritual resume. 
And I want to be clear here because um, what he's not saying is that your integrity or how you live saves you. He's not saying it's what you provide to God in order for your salvation. We know through scripture and believe that we are saved by grace through faith, that it is God moving on our behalf, that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. It's not how we get saved, but here's what he is saying. He's saying that it is everything that we bring to the table before God and others as evidence of our salvation and what God is doing in our life. That our integrity is the proof that we love the Lord and that God's spirit is moving in us and that we are indeed children of God, right? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll live a life with integrity. James says, faith without works is dead. He says, you show me your faith, I'll show you my works, right? What works is he talking about? He's talking about integrity. He's saying, I'll show you that my faith has impacted my life in real ways. First Samuel, God tells the priest, he says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So what God desires even more than our sacrifice or our worship is our integrity, So we live with this tension where salvation is a free gift of God. It is the work of God in our life. And yet we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God cares about our integrity. So what is integrity? Well, here's the definition I want to use this morning. It's this. Integrity defined being the same person wherever you are. It's simply being you wherever you are. It's living a life of consistency, of honesty, of transparency, of stability. People can trust you. They can rely on you. If you say something is true, it's true. If you promise you'll be somewhere, you'll be there. You will do what you say you will do. There is nothing hidden. You don't compromise. You are genuinely you wherever you are. Proverbs 11.3 says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. That you are the same person when no one's watching as you are when everyone's watching. You know what's interesting? Do you know that the world values in other people, you know they value integrity more than anything else? Like if you go to any sort of survey and it's like, what do employees want in their employers? Integrity is high on that list, right? that they're trustworthy, that they're reliable, that you can count on them. If you go to surveys that say, what do employers want from their employees? Integrity's up there. If it's a marriage relationship and what you're looking for in a spouse or in friends, it's integrity is always way at the top. And do you wanna know why that is? Because the greatest ideas of our culture always come from God's word. Did you know that? And like, don't miss that Solomon and David, thousands and thousands of years ago, are laying out the importance of integrity and still our greatest minds today, they're saying, man, integrity is really important, right? The greatest ideas in our culture always come from scripture. But here's what integrity means. It's that as I go throughout my week, that I'm the same person when I'm up here preaching to you as I am when I am watching my son's soccer game at the beach soccer tournament in Grand Haven yesterday, as I am when I am in the office with my coworkers, as I am when I'm at a dinner with friends, as I am when I'm at a dinner with strangers, as I am when I'm just home with my wife and kids. And my prayer for my life is that if you were to ask Jody, who works with me or my friends, they would say, yeah, the Calvin that you see on stage preaching, that's Cal. He's the same person. There's consistency in character. There's integrity no matter what the context. 
And church, here's what's wild to me, is that even though we desire this in others, we go out of our way to, to, to give off a perception of our lives that oftentimes is so different from reality, don't we? Like, you know this is what social media does. Like, how many times have you been downtown Grand Haven and you see someone taking 20 pictures of the same stance because they got to get the perfect one to show to everyone, right? I've got to look best and it's got to be in the right filter. And we always post our victories and our successes. We post when little Johnny graduates from kindergarten, not when he's freaking out in Myers, right? Like, look, our family's great and our kids are happy and everything is wonderful. Like, we go out of our way to just say, man, th this is who I am when that's not the full picture. We foster a lack of integrity in, in how we present ourselves to others. You want to get really freaked out? A few years ago, I learned about this. Have you guys heard of trap accounts? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about when, I, when I'm talking about trap accounts. Yeah, all the young people raised their hand. Uh, here's what trap accounts are. And this was a social media phenomenon, primarily with younger people, high school aged, college age. But, but what they would do is, is they would have one Facebook page or Instagram account, and, and that would be for like their parents and grandparents and aunts and, and, and church people. And then they would have a different, separate, hidden uh, Instagram account, and that was for their school friends and their peers, right? And guess what? What they posted about in this account was very, very different than what they posted about on this account. What they wore in this account was very, very different than what they wore in this account. And it's like, man, we're teaching our young people, you can be duplicitous, segment your life. These people can see these things about me, but, but these people, can, they can see these things about me. It is fundamental lack of integrity. We're training this in our society. Right, in Psalm 26, David's going to show us what integrity looks like and what it produces in us. So look at verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted the Lord without wavering. Um, here's the first thing you're going to notice right from the first word, is that integrity will come with a cost. Having integrity will come at a cost. Right? David says, Vindicate me. All right, why do you ask God to vindicate you when you're in trouble? Right? We don't know what the exact circumstances are. Maybe someone is lying about him. Maybe someone is dragging his reputation in the mud. But what he's saying is, is God, defend me. God, show up. God, clear my name because I have lived with integrity. He's not saying, man, I have integrity and I'm doing awesome. He says, no, God, I'm in trouble and I need you to show up. Right? Because when you have integrity, it's going to cost you. Like when you work, if you're honest and if you work hard, and if you have your boss's best in mind rather than your own, look at me, that's going to shine a light on your coworkers and their lack of integrity. And very, very rarely are they going to be like, wow, I'm the problem. I need to work harder. No, they're going to attack you. You're a goody two-shoes. You're, you're a suck-up. Like, like this is a you problem. No, it's just you living and working with integrity. Students, look at me. Right To honestly follow God and live with integrity, that means there are some places you just will not go and things you will not do. And that means there's going to be some lonely Friday nights if you follow the Lord with integrity. It's going to cost you. Right, ladies, when you're with your friends and it starts to turn into gossip about other people and you're like, hey, I'm not going to talk about them. They're not here and that, 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 that's wrong and I'm going to believe the best. The, the ones who are gossiping are not going to be like, oh man, you're right. Thank you. They're going to be like, you jerk. Why are you making me feel bad? This is what everyone does. Parents, 
If you're going to parent your kids with integrity, that means there's some battles you're going to have to fight with them that you have to win, and they're not going to like it, and they're going to punish you for it. It's going to cost you. Look here. It's so easy to compromise, isn't it? It's so easy to lie. It's so easy not to say the hard thing that's right and necessary. Living with integrity is hard, and it will cost you. G.K. Chesterton, he, he's a British theologian, and uh, I, I use his quote mostly just because I think he looks awesome. Um, but what he said is really good, too. He said this. He said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Do you see what he's saying? He's like, listen, no one's ever said, man, when I followed Christ, when I lived with integrity, when I did the hard right things, that God didn't show up and he failed me. No, no, no. What they say is, is, man, it's just really, really difficult and we give up because it's too hard and then our life goes to chaos because we lack integrity. Church, I'm not trying to sell you a faith that is easy. If integrity were easy, it wouldn't be so valuable. And yet we see that God cares about our integrity more than anything. Second thing we see is that integrity will demand asking difficult questions. Look at verse two. This is amazing here. If you take notes in your Bible, star this verse. He says, prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Do you see what David's saying to God there? He's inviting him in. And he's saying, God, I want you to test me in every area of my life. God, prove me. God, we re reveal where there's any lack of integrity. But, but he says, try me and test me. That is amazing, that is brave, and that is dangerous. He's saying, I'm not hiding anything from you. There is nothing secret. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing in the shadows. God is all out for you to see. How many of you in this room would be willing to echo David in verse 2? Hey, God, I'm going to lay out everything in my life before you. Test me, improve me. Uh, again, listen, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. In a room this size with this many people, there are many of you in here and you're hiding. And there's things that are in the shadows and there's duplicity in your life. And when you think of God coming in and giving an audit of your life, you shudder with, with, with fear because you know that there's integrity issues. David's saying, listen, God, everything is open to you. All right, so we have some difficult questions we need to ask, church. What if God searched our relationships? What would he find? All right, would he find fidelity? Would he find faithfulness? Or would he find flirtation? Would he find infidelity? Would he find secret relationships that no one else knows about, would, what would he find? Would he find integrity? What about um, your private life? What about your internet history or your text messages or, or, or your apps? What if you laid that before the Lord? What would he find? Would he find pornography? Would he find people being devoured by lust? Would, would, would he find duplicity and hiddenness and, and going around and, and private emails and, and, and all of these things that are so common in our culture. All right, what about our thought life, church? Would he find people that are just letting their minds wander and it's their playground and again, being devoured by lust? Would he find just bitterness and anger devouring people, right? Like, I know I need to forgive, but I can't forgive that person. And just day after day, month after month, stewing on how you've been hurt and how you've been wronged, not letting it go, not giving it to the Lord, not, not living through the lens of God's forgiveness 
towards you, holding on to bitter and angerness. Right, what about your work life? Would he find integrity in your work life? Do you talk about your boss the same way when your boss is around as when he's not around? Do you talk about your coworkers in the same way? Do you work with the same diligence when you're by yourself working from home as you do when you're at the office? How about your friendships? Are you comfortable sitting with the congregation of the wicked? Or are your friendships drawing you more and more to the Lord? What about our priorities, church? Um, do I have permission to make fun of us a little bit? Is that okay? Like, give me a thumbs up. If you're like, Cal, you can make fun of us a little bit. Good, because I would hate to hurt anyone's feelings, right? If you know me, you know that's my thing. Just don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Um, do you know, and this has been going on for years and years and years. This is not new. Do you know that in the summer at our church, if it is a Saturday night and Sunday morning and it's stormy and it's rainy and it's gross outside, our attendance will grow by three or 400 people. Like you can book it, like it will happen. If it's nasty out in the summers, people come to church. And listen, I'm not a legalist on church attendance. I get vacations and I get family obligations. But here's what that's telling us, that there's a lot of us who, who our commitment to church and the things of the Lord run about as deep as long as it's not 82 and sunny. Right? It's an integrity issue. You say, man, we, our family, we love the Lord and we're God's children and we care about church, unless it's really nice outside. Right? Then I'm camping. Then I'm at the beach. Right? It, it shows integrity issues. You are loved. Um, love you guys. <laughs> what would the Lord find in our families? Right? Is our priorities what we say actually our priorities are? Or do we just talk the talk? What about our finances? Right? I think all of us would say, man, our goals in life is to love God and to love people. Right? Would our finances show a generosity towards the Lord and a generosity towards others? Or would it show stinginess towards the Lord and stinginess towards others and very, very just much consumed with ourselves? Are we generous people? Again, what about your character and honesty? Is there duplicity in, the, in your life? Are there things going on in your life that no one else knows about? That's an integrity issue. How about your language? Do you talk the same way you do here as you do when you're with your friends, as you do when you're at work? And so here's what happens right now. Again, I don't know what your thing may or may not be, but God's spirit does. And I'm praying that God's spirit now is bringing to mind areas in our life where we're maybe lacking in integrity. And again, this is what I've been praying. And here's my question. Do you even want God's spirit to convict you? Like, are you here today and saying, God, I'm allowing you into these areas. You know, so many people and so many churches don't want God's conviction in their life. Like, do you know how many churches won't preach the Bible because at the end of the day, they don't want to be convicted by the word of God? A couple weeks ago, someone at our church told me, they said, yeah, I had a friend attend Harvest one weekend, and it was the weekend that Pastor Taylor was preaching, and he was preaching from the prophets, and Taylor preached an incredible message, and the person said, my friend came and said, wow, Taylor gave an incredible message. It was super convicting, and I'm so thankful my church doesn't preach convicting messages like that because it was really hard to sit through, and I've been wrestling with this all week, and it's been difficult. And I'm like, Taylor, take that as a compliment, as a badge of honor. We want to be people who are being transformed by God's word. Amen? Good. I'm really glad you said that, um, or I'd be worried. Again, being, integrity is being the same person everywhere you are. Is this you? 
David is saying, God, test my heart. That's a scary question, but I believe it's a question that integrity demands. All right, look at verses three and four. Here's what it says. It says, for your steadfast love is before my eyes and I will walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehoods, nor do I consort with hypocrites. The third thing we see is that our integrity is rooted in the gospel. See what he says there? He says, I have set my eyes on your steadfast love and on your faithfulness. He goes, that is the thing that has captured my mind. In another words, he says, the voice that is loudest in my life is your love and faithfulness towards me. So he says, because of that, I don't sit with hypocrites and evildoers, but I pursue integrity because my eyes are on how much you've loved me. Remember last week we said that satisfied people live with a vertical certainty? David's like, I am so certain that you love me, that you are for me, that you want my best and can be trusted. The other voices, they don't get a say. Um, So when I was growing up, my folks, they lived kind of right off of Lake Michigan. And if you've grown up here, you know that Lake Michigan in the winter when it freezes over, you get a lot of um, blown sand in in the ice and you get a lot of snow drifts and it makes these big like mountain or dune looking things. You guys know what I'm talking about? And and it's kind of deceiving because it makes the ice look really, really thick. But the ice on Lake Michigan never gets really, really thick. And so my parents, as I was growing up, always said, Cal, even if it looks like there's mountains out there, don't go out on the ice because it's deceiving. It's not as thick as you think it is. Well, when I was in junior high or in high school, I'd have friends come and they'd spend the night on a Friday night or something. And they'd be like, dude, Cal, let's go out on the ice. And I'm like, nope, it's not safe. And they're like, what are you talking about? Look, there's like hills out there. Look how thick the ice is. It's massive. And I'm like, guys, it's deceiving. It's not as thick as it looks. And I remember one weekend, my friends were like, fine, Cal, you can stay home. We're going. Okay. Right. And they came back in about 40 minutes later. And I'm like, why are you guys wet down to your waist? And they're like, it's not as thick as it looks. And I was like, yeah, morons, I told you, right? And so in that moment, I wouldn't go with my friends because the voice of my parents was louder than their voices. And it kept me from harm. What David's saying is, is, man, I am so convinced of your goodness and your love and your faithfulness that that is what is loudest in my life. Like, church, are we good at that? Like, how often do you wake up and the first thing you do is remember who you really are? that you are known and loved by God, that God has given everything to pursue a relationship with you, that you are empowered, that you're saved, that God's spirit dwells with you, that you are loved more than you could ever know. Is that what's loudest in your life? You see, here's what the world doesn't understand, that if your integrity is just rooted in how good you are and your strength to be a good person, the end result is just pride and arrogance and looking down on others, right? That's why we have cancel culture. Right? Because when someone fails publicly, it's like, I'd never do that. And I must be a better person than you. Look how terrible you are. It just makes people puffed up if it's not rooted in the gospel. David's like, no, no, I'm rooting my integrity into something greater than myself, which is your love, which allows us as Christians to have grace towards people who fail. Because we know that without Christ, we're nothing. It's rooted in the gospel. Look at verse six. He says, I wash my hands in innocence and I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of all of your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. 
Here's the fourth thing we see is that integrity brings awesome rewards. And in verses six through eight, we see three amazing rewards of living with integrity. We get these right from the text. We see a clean conscience. David says, I wash my hands in innocence. I have nothing to hide. My conscience is clean. We get thankfulness. I go around your altar proclaiming thanksgiving aloud. And then we see a desire and love for God's presence. Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Like, do you see how happy David is? This is a man who has joy, who is satisfied and is fulfilled. He goes, listen, this is what integrity has brought me. I've got a clean conscience. I'm thankful and I want to be near you, God. I want to be around your people and your presence. Okay, so again, look at verses six through eight, and I want you to contrast that with what David writes in Psalm 32 when he's remembering a time in his life when he didn't have integrity, when he was living with hidden sin. In Psalm 32, two through four, it says this. It says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Isn't that contrast amazing? He's like, when I have integrity, I've got a clean conscience, I'm thankful, and I'm excited to be near God. I want to be in his house and with his people. And when he's like, when I had hidden sin in my life, I was wiped out. I was beat up, groaning all the day long. My bones were rotting away. He goes, when I was living without integrity, it had a dramatic impact on my heart and my joy and my life. This is another area where we see science catching up with the Bible. You know, they've actually conducted scientific studies on how lying affects us physically and especially in our brains. This is from an article from Psychology Today. It said this. It said, symptoms of anxiety arise because lying activates the limbic system in the brain, the same area that initiates the fight or flight response that is triggered during other stresses. When people are being honest, this area of the brain shows minimal activity, but when they're telling a lie, it lights up like a fireworks display. An honest brain is relaxed while a dishonest brain is frantic. Right, think about that. Like, 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 you get it, right? Like, when you are living without integrity, when you're living in lies or duplicity, you're, you're always worried about when you're going to get found out. How am I going to keep my lies straight? What if this person finds out about what I was doing over here? Hey, hey, does anyone know? And you don't sleep as well. In your brain, it's hard to shut off. So, church, if this is true in our horizontal relationships with one another, the same has to be true in our vertical relationship with God. If we are living with things in our heart that we know are wrong, living with duplicity, it's going to suck the joy out of our Christian walk. All right, church, don't miss this. If the rewards of integrity are you love and desire the presence of God, one of the indicators that there's some integrity issues in your life is all of a sudden you don't want those things. This would play out when I was a high school pastor all the time. I would have a kid who was plugged into youth group, engaged, loving it, and all of a sudden they would disappear. And they'd be gone, and I'd reach out to them, and I'd find them, and I'm like, what's going on, man? And they're like, oh, I just don't like youth group anymore. I don't want to go. It's boring, this, that, or the other. I'm like, dude, like three weeks ago, you loved it, and you'd press in a little bit, and guess what you'd find out? Oh, you've also started doing drugs with your friends, <laughs> right? There was a reason that all of a sudden they didn't want to be at small group. They didn't want to be at youth group. They didn't want to worship because they knew there were areas in their life that weren't matching up. There were integrity issues, and they didn't want the Lord to confront them on those things. 
And again, thankfulness is the same way. Like church, you realize that no one actually just wakes up grumpy. Like there isn't no real wrong side of the bed. You get that, right? Well, like what happens is, is when we're grumpy or unthankful, that's an indicator that we've got some selfishness in our heart or an integrity issue. And that grumpiness is God's grace warning us something's not right. So can I ask you the question, do, do you love being at church? Do you lean in saying, God, speak to me. I want to grow. I want to engage with you in worship. Do you love the people of God? Or are you like, man, I, I don't want to be here and, and I don't want these things and I want to be left to myself. That might be an indicator that there's some integrity things going on in your heart. Charles Spurgeon said this. I love this. He said, a clear conscience is a small heaven. Isn't that great? That having a clean conscience or a clear conscience, that, that it's just like, man, I can sleep at night and I can know that I'm honoring the Lord, not perfect, but doing my best. And, and there's nothing I have to worry about being found out about. There's no skeletons in the, clo- in the closet. That's a small heaven. Church, we care so much about how people perceive us and we care about our reputation. We can't control that, but we can control our integrity. This clear conscience you can have tonight when you close your eyes and go to sleep. Are you thankful? Are you excited about the things of God? Is your conscience clean? These are the rewards and indicators of integrity. Then here's the fifth thing we see. It's this. It's that integrity draws my gaze to Christ. Look at how he ends in verse 11. He says this, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. And I love how he kind of books ends this psalm. In verse one, he's like, I have walked in my integrity. And in verse 11, he's like, I shall continue to walk in my integrity. And we see some beautiful theology in these last verses. We see the theology of redemption. God, redeem me, save me. We, we see the theology of grace. God, it's your grace that allows me to live with integrity, continue to pour out that grace. God, it's all a good gift from you anyways. We see the theology of perseverance. I shall continue on. I will not give up or drown. God, you have kept me. You will continue to keep me. And all of this is because of your grace and your mercy for your glory. You get all the credit. Um, I love to think about that moment. It talks about it in Revelation where we stand before Christ. And for us as followers of Christ, um, do you know that we're rewarded for how we live here on earth? It says that God will go through the areas in our life where we were fruitful and had integrity and we will receive rewards for that. We'll receive crowns. But, but here's the cool thing. The rewards aren't about us. And, and it's not even for us to keep. It, it says that what we do is, is we take these crowns and you know what we do with them after we receive them? We place them at the feet of Jesus. Like how beautiful is that picture? What, what it's saying is, is Jesus, you're the king. You're the Lord. This is all because of your goodness and your grace and your faithfulness and everything good in me. I am now giving back to you because you are the one who's worthy and you deserve all the glory and honor and praise. And church, if you really think about that moment, it's going to compel you to want to spend the rest of your life chasing down crowns to lay at the feet of Jesus. I just want a big old stack because he's so good and worthy. That's what David's saying. It's your grace. It's your mercy. It's beautiful, isn't it? All right, so every um, 
message in this series, we've closed with very, very practical steps to pursuing blessing and satisfaction. And we're going to do the same with integrity. Here's the first practical step to pursuing integrity. Come clean fast. Come clean and come clean fast. Um, Can I ask you a question? What is David most famous for? Like, what's David's greatest victory? Someone, Someone say it out. Goliath, right? He defeated Goliath. That's what he's famous for. That's what he's in all of the the, the, the children's books for. He was the shepherd boy that took out the Philistine warrior king because he had faith that God would grant a victory that none of the other Israelites had. Do you know that I don't think that that's David's greatest victory? Do you know I think David's greatest victory is actually found in 2 Samuel? And here's the backdrop. Um, this is when David had sinned with Bathsheba. Do you guys remember the story that he had an adulterous relationship and then to conceal it, he actually had her husband murdered. Then he took her as his wife. I mean, it was wrong. It was wicked. It was evil. And so what God did in pursuing David is he brought the prophet. And now think about this. The prophet represented the word of the Lord. So God comes and through Nathan speaks to David. And he tells this story about this king who who mistreats a shepherd and steals his sheep. And David gets angry. He's like, I want to find out who who, who this, this ruler was and he needs to pay. And then Nathan's like, David, it's you. This was an analogy for what you've done with Bathsheba and Uriah. The blood's on your hands, David. And this is where David's greatest victory happens in Psalm 12, 13. Immediately after Nathan says that, David's first response is this. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin and you shall not die. His greatest victory was how quickly he repented when confronted with his sin. He's like, I'm not hiding. God, to be clean with you and right with you is better than living in duplicity. You've got me. My hands are open and I've sinned and I've sinned against you and I want to deal with it right now in this moment. Listen, if there's things in your life that you're hiding, if there's duplicity and the spirit of the Lord, just like with David, is pressing in on your heart. This is why God's word says, when you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. Listen, it's scary. And there might be some consequences and relationships that you have to work through. But now is the moment to come clean and repent before the Lord and before those who, who you've sinned against. And listen, we want to be here to help. We have pastors and elders and small group leaders and people who love you and care for you and want to see you walk in integrity. We'll do whatever we can to help. But this is between you and the Lord. Come clean. Don't wait. Don't leave here today not being right with God. I beg you, come clean and come clean fast. Here's the second. Don't give yourself opportunity to hide. Don't allow yourself to have areas where there's things going on that no one else knows about. Don't don't set yourself up for failure. Love and embrace total transparency. Listen, in, in, in my marriage... Mary has my cell phone password. She has the password to all of my emails, to all of my accounts. If Mary's like, Cal, can I see this? Absolutely, 
right? We even have this stupid app on our phones where it's like, find my friend so she knows where I am all the time. And it's not because I'm worried that I need to know where she is. It's that we trust each other. It's like everything is open to you because you're my wife. There's no areas where there's lack of transparency. Listen, if people want to hold you accountable, you should be like, yes, awesome, please, I welcome it. I want transparency. If you're like, man, I'm never gonna go to small group because people are gonna ask me how I'm doing. That's a you problem, right? Don't allow yourself to hide. Don't give the enemy an opportunity. And then here's the third. And this one's simple, but it's really, really hard. You need to fear the Lord. Like you need to fear the Lord. You know, um, in Psalm 1, or sorry, not Psalm 1, Proverbs 1, Solomon is beginning his book of Proverbs and it's a book of wisdom. And in Proverbs 1, he, he says this, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I memorized that growing up, like I've known that verse, but this week I really started to ponder and wrestle with, why does he put that in Psalm 1? Like he starts off, or it's not Psalm, Proverbs, I gotta say that right. Why does he put that in Proverbs 1? Um, here's why, think about it. Solomon is a man who's been given more wisdom than any contemporary by God. And he's about to write a book that he goes, here's all of my best wisdom. I'm giving you everything God has given me in the book of Proverbs. But what he does is he says in Proverbs 1, right at the beginning, he says, listen, none of it's going to matter if you don't fear God. He goes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. If you don't care about God and you don't fear, I can give you all the wisdom in the world and it's not going to matter. Church, the most heartbreaking thing about being a pastor is we walk with people who are making chaos out of their lives and they're making decisions that are sinful and ungodly and their problem is not not knowing what to do. They know what's right. They know what honors the Lord. The problem is, is when what God calls them to do comes in conflict with what they want, they choose themselves over and over and over again. They don't fear the Lord. And so even as we end this series, church, like, listen, I can tell you how to get to blessing. I can show you how to live a life that's full of satisfaction. I can show you how to walk in integrity. If you don't fear God, it doesn't mean anything. You're gonna keep going down the same path. So maybe I've got to ask the most fundamental question. Are we a church that fears the Lord? Do we believe that he's God, that he's creator, that all of this is his, that he's ruling and reigning and he's a God who sees and knows and holds accountable? Do me a favor, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just wanna close again with just giving us a minute to meet with the Lord. And I trust that God's spirit is showing you what you need to pray about what you might need to confess, what you might need to bring before the Lord. Integrity is what God cares most about. And I'm thankful for a church that that loves to lean in and loves to hear from God's word. I think it's such a blessing. And I'm just praying right now that even as we close in worship, that we would just have a special time where God does a renewing work in our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for... um, you. I'm thankful for your word. And God, right now, um, I'm really just feeling compelled to not say too much. Would your spirit move? Would this be a weekend where some massive life 
life-changing decisions were made. God, we want to be transformed into one degree of glory to another. We need you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.